And so, nevertheless, this morning is the official launch that we were supposed to have last week of our annual State of the Church series. And two weeks ago, if you were in church, we did a little bit of an anticipation for the State of the Church series. I called it the prequel to the State of the Church, and we asked a question. We asked, what did church people do anyhow? Do you remember that? Were you here two weeks ago? Anyone recall that? Yeah, a few people. So, so two weeks ago, we asked, what does it mean to be part of a church anyhow? And we looked into the, the uh, book of Acts, chapter 2, and we, we isolated two things. And certainly these aren't the only things that church people do and what churches are about. But we talked about the apostles' teaching. We talked about correct doctrine, the word of God being the authoritative teaching for us. And we talked about fellowship symbolized by the breaking of bread, which was not just sharing sandwiches, but was communion and the Lord's table and all that represents, and and not just, again, gathering like we are today and having a few emblems at the end of the gathering, but this communion and this fellowship was something even deeper. It was about holding one another accountable to the Word of God as, as we are held accountable by the body, and we hold the body accountable, and there's all kinds of things that fall into that fellowship piece. And so today... We're going to build on that. Today, I have another question for you as we look at the state of not just our church, but the state of the church in general. Here's another question for you. Why do we do those things? The apostles teaching the fellowship. Why is it that we do those things? What is the purpose of us being here anyhow? Why does the church exist? Simple questions, right? Nothing terribly intense or or terribly deep to get started in the new year. Of course, I'm joking. These are questions that we've wrestled with throughout church history. And it seems like there's two particular answers that continue to come up again and again. Certainly, there's lots of things we could say. If I took the microphone down and around, and I won't, so you don't have to start sweating. But if I took the microphone down and around and asked you this morning, why does the church exist? Why do we gather like this? You'd say all kinds of different things, and so many of them would be, would be spot on with what the Word of God says. But, but, but by and large, when, when people talk about these things, there's two big answers that they give. And we're going to look at these two answers today from the Word of God, and then... And then we'll try and bring some reconciliation at the end of this. But here's, here's the two answers that you will generally get. They'll fall into these two broad categories. First is this. The reason for the church. The church exists here for, for us to build up those who have confessed faith in Jesus Christ to keep us strong in the Lord and to keep us strong with each other. That's one answer and, and, and a lot of things that we would say would fall into that particular category. The church exists for us. And then there's another answer that people would give you depending on who you talk to. They would say that the church exists, everything we do, the reason we gather is not for us, but for the people who are not yet 
us. And our purpose is to introduce people to the good news of Jesus Christ and to bring them in. And so everything we do is about the people that aren't here. And so you can see where those two perspectives and those two discussions um, hit up against some things that are possibly mutually exclusive. The church exists for you and I. The church exists for everyone but you and I. And so we're going to look into the Word of God and try and bring some reconciliation to that. Because as we launch into 2020, and as we talk about the state of the church, and as we talk about some priorities of what we want to accomplish this year, it would be great if we had a compelling sense of why we were doing what we were doing, if we had a target that we were going to aim at. So let me pray. Let's pray together. And we're going to look into the Word of God. So Lord, I just pray this morning, as we have gathered here, I just pray that you would take your word and bring it alive in our hearts. And Lord, that you would be here and and directing and guiding our conversations. Lord, that we might be built up together. We thank you for this. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible with you this morning, you can open it to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And we're also going to look into the Gospel of Matthew in a few moments. But right now we're going to look into Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. And this is one of those passages that could lead us to say, the church exists for you and I to build us up. Let's read what the Apostle Paul says, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. It says this, It was he, being God, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature Attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the Apostle Paul here lists a, a bunch of different, different roles or a bunch of different uh, gifts that have been given to the church with one purpose. The first one the Apostle Paul mentions here is apostles. And we struggle with that word in English because it's not an English word to start with. It's a Greek word. There is no English translation for it. There's simply a way to say it if you're English. We kind of are familiar with that here in southwest Nova Scotia because we have the places that we say in English and then we have the places that we say if we have a French background, yet we're saying them in English. I don't know if I want to try to say some of them, but yesterday at my son's hockey game, we were talking about the the places that they were going to play in upcoming weeks. And of course, there's a lot of Acadian folks on my son's hockey team, and and they were telling me that next week, I don't know if I should try this because we're on the podcast, but there was a particular way they said the word Digby. If you're you're from a French-Acadian background, maybe you could just shout it out for us. Or, or from, from we're playing Claire next weekend. That's how I would say it. So we understand there's different ways we pronounce things, even though they're in one particular language. This is what is happening here with some of these gifts that the Apostle Paul lays out here. Apostles isn't an English word. It's a Greek word. And we just say it Englishly. And so apostles 
if we dug into what it means, it means very fundamentally ones who are sent. People who are sent. Now, within our fellowship, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, we did some work about 20 years ago on defining what it means to be an apostle because within our movement, some rose up and suggested that apostles in this gift list were first and therefore carried unchecked authority within local bodies. And so we had to wrestle with that and our fellowship decided this. When we read through scripture, we see several classes of apostles. We see Jesus as an apostle in the book of Hebrews who is in the class all in his own. We see the 12 apostles who had a teaching and preaching and establishing ministry for the local church. And we see the apostleship of others in the New Testament that aren't in the category of the 12 apostles nor Jesus. And so we have affirmed the apostolic nature of Christians as a fellowship. But we don't see necessarily a particular authority that comes with that. What we would call today apostles might be people who pioneer new works. People who are sent out by organizations to be global workers all across the world. People who are called, who feel a particular anointing on their heart to start new things in new places. We're partnered with Eglise Dufar in Clare with Reverend Stephanie and Mario Bersado, who are raising up a local church there. And we have other places within our, our, our own um, our own district, who are functioning in this apostolic, creative, sent-out anointing, planting new places. And so what is the purpose of this gift? The Apostle Paul says, the purpose of this gift, verse 12, is to prepare God's people for the works of the service. To prepare you and I for works of service. And so there's another gift. He talks about prophets. Guess what? Prophet isn't an English word either. Prophet's a Greek word. Prophetes. We just say it in English. Prophet because we don't have a translation for it. The gifting of the prophet means the mouthpiece of God. Prophets carry with them the word of God for the moment. Preaching indeed can be a prophetic act. Prophecy is a gift that other in the bodies that others in the body can carry, according to the Apostle Paul. It may also be expressed as part of the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14 discusses prophecy versus speaking in tongues and affirms the beneficial aspects of prophecy within the congregation when the church is gathered together simply because it is understood by everyone. 1 Corinthians 14 also affirms the beneficial nature of praying in tongues in its proper context. And we discuss those things in our foundations class here at Evangel Assembly, which starts again at the end of February. And so if you were interested in taking steps deeper with our local church, pursuing things like water baptism, church membership, or just engaging the church on a deeper level, I'd invite you to join Foundations that starts at the end of February. We have a number of people, dozens, who have walked through Foundations, and they can be a a great testimony of what it is all about. And in fact, one of our deacons, Dave, and his wife, Doris, have been with me in Foundations since day one, so I appreciate your help there as well. You can talk with Dave and Doris, and they can share with you what Foundations is all about also. 
But of course, when we talk about prophecy and and prophetic words, we know that everything must be held to the standard of the word of God. There is no word that can come through a prophet of old in the scriptural times or no word of prophecy that we feel the Lord impresses on our heart that contradicts and goes against the scripture that we have in front of us. And so, again, the Apostle Paul says, this gift is for, well, he says in verse 12, to prepare God's people, you and I, those inside, for works of service. And there's another gift mentioned. Evangelists. Now, I wanted you to take a guess. Is that an English word or a Greek word? What do you think? The evangelist, we say it Englishly, but its root is untranslated from Greek. It's from the Greek word euangelion, gospel or good news. And in fact, that is the root Greek word where we get our church name. We are evangel. We are from the Greek euangel. We are the church of the good news or the church of the gospel. That's why we are called evangel assembly. I know some people I mentioned before call us the Evangeline Assembly. In some cases, it's close enough I don't bother to correct them. I can understand because of our French Acadian heritage in this region, Evangeline, and we are on the Evangeline Trail, it flows through the mouth a lot easier than this Greek word evangel. We just need to chop off that last syllable. We are evangel because it comes from the Greek. It comes from the gospel. It means the good news. We are the church of the good news. And so these evangelists, this gift that the Apostle Paul talks about is people who are especially equipped by God to bring about the good news, the message of the gospel. I think we're most familiar and comfortable with this term of all the terms I've shared so far. We invite evangelists to come for special events. We have evangelists at camp meetings. And I think in our generation, Billy Graham did more to popularize and, and, and familiarize us with the word and the operation of the term evangelist. And so it has lots of respect in our day. And why is this gift given to the church, the Apostle Paul says? Well, verse 12, to prepare God's people, you and I, for works of service. And there's one more gift listed in this passage. Pastor, teacher. If you look into the Greek, it's the word shepherd, but we call it pastor just to confuse people and keep them on their toes. Shepherd or teacher. We all know who pastors are, right? Pastors are the ones that work one day a week, plus the occasional funeral and crisis situation, unless you're at Evangel Assembly and then it's the weekly funeral. And they collect a handsome salary along with benefits, right? And they even have private jets to fly them between speaking engagements if they are American. So Mandy, she's not, there you are. When you and I are empty nesters and have no kids, we are totally going to transfer to the Assemblies of God and ride on those private jets. How about that? I've never heard of a Canadian pastor yet getting to fly on a private jet. No, seriously though, The title pastor we are most familiar with in church. Every organization that calls themselves a church generally has a pastor at the helm, and they function as the head organizer of just about everything. 
Some churches are fortunate enough to have staff that can specialize and focus their gifts into a variety of things. And we have Pastor Aaron here on staff, and we are very fortunate and pleased to have Pastor Aaron and Rachel here as well. Coming up to the one-year mark, believe it or not, that Pastor Aaron and Rachel have been here with us. They've almost endured uh, a, a whole complete Nova Scotia winter. And they've discovered that one day it's winter, the next day it's spring. And then that night it goes back to winter again. But the purpose of pastors and teachers, according to the Apostle Paul, here in this passage is this. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so when we focus on this particular passage in Ephesians and what it says about the church, we can envision a church that is characterized by leadership gifts whose role it is to invest in those who are part of the church. The saved, the saints, and the insiders. We can envision that when we look Look at this particular passage in Ephesians. And there are strengths and there are weaknesses to that envision. The strength of a church whose purpose, who aims their target at insiders, at equipping the saints, is this holiness and purity of the faith, being set apart for special purposes and things, living in character close to God. The Old Testament says in Leviticus, be holy as I am holy. I'm going to share about holiness again in a few weeks in a bit more depth. It's an important characteristic. It's an important aspect that was talked about in the early church. And it's an important aspect that ought to be characterized by churches today as well. But when we envision this this Ephesians 4 church, a church focused on pure faith, a glorious church we sing sometimes without a spot or wrinkle, and a church that's focused on the needs and the equipping of those inside sometimes has house rules too, unwritten codes and things that we live by if we want to become associated with that local church. Let me tell you what I mean about house rules. When I was growing up, and this is great because my dad's here today. When I was growing up, there were house rules. You didn't wear your hat at the table. Maybe that was your house rule too. Number two, you didn't eat french fries with your fingers. You ate them with a fork. And my dad's here. You can ask him after. And thirdly, I'm pretty sure this was a house rule because we did it. You had to eat pizza with a fork and a knife. You had to. Those were the house rules when I grew up in my house. Now, you see, I grew up in Rockville, just down the road from a few other people that are attending here this morning. And when I would go down to Natalie's house, Jack and Bonnie's house, or if I would go and visit Laura to Budney Lane's place, I am pretty sure that I didn't have to eat French fries with a fork there. I could use my fingers. Thank you, Bud, for affirming that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we could use, we could use our fingers. And though there was this other thing too. I don't know if mom and dad know about this one, but they had this rule that you weren't allowed to ride your bike on the road till you were like 29. <laughs> Except at Jack and Bonnie's and Budney Lanes, you could ride the bike on the road when you were like 10. So I'd go down and we'd go for bike rides as long as we turned right out of their driveway and not left. We could go on a bike ride as long as we wanted. Those were the house rules. And churches have house rules also. And those who are geared and focused on insiders have particular house rules. 
Now, I said there are strengths and weaknesses to both of these perspectives. The strength of a church, as I said, focused on the saints and equipping and growing them as holiness and and purity of faith. The weakness for a church exclusively for church people is sometimes this. The weakness is grace. Because if church is for us, then we need to determine who us is, who is in, and who is out. And unfortunately, in the worst times, we find that there is no grace. And when we have an issue, we don't talk about it because we're not comfortable or confident that there is grace for it. And the last thing we want to do is find ourselves on the outside. I remember the quote that I think one of Phil Stoddard's daughters shared at his funeral here. And I loved it. I almost wanted to repeat it and jump up and down because it just, it stuck with me. And Pat, I, I know you're here today and I just, I know it's, we're going to we honor him and we are going to keep honoring him and speaking of him. But his daughter said that throughout his life, he had many vices and he knew. Phil attended AA and he didn't, he shared that with a few people. And Phil walked through several difficult circumstances. And because of that, his daughter said, he didn't judge others too harshly because he knew the grace that was applied to his heart and his life as well. And I remember reading that and thinking, why, God, could we all live with grace like that? And so church for church people is about equipping the saints according to the book of Ephesians. But the answer, or the question I have for you, is that the answer then? Is that the best representation of the purpose for the church that we have? Let's take a look at the other side of the conversation. The other side of the conversation says this, we are here for outsiders, those who are not here with us yet, and our purpose is to reach them and to share the gospel with them. If you turn your Bibles over to the book of Matthew, chapter 28, there are a couple verses there that will seem to encapsulate this particular idea. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Now, I've preached this particular passage here before in the past, and when I did, I asked you a particular question. In the Great Commission, of all the various things that we are instructed to do, which one is most important? Now, in the English language, we don't really get to see that. But if we were to learn Greek and look into the Greek text of the Great Commission, we see this, that there are four different things that appear, go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them. But in the Greek, there is one controlling verb over all of this, and the rest are just participles. Having done this, and having done that, and having done the other thing, make sure that this is the focus of the Great Commission. Do you recall any? of that? Do you recall which one of these things is the controlling verb in Greek? It's it's the first, we would think. It goes alongside of it. Any other guesses? So the controlling verb in Greek is the verb make. 
disciples. While we are going, while we are baptizing, while we are teaching, we want to make disciples of the world around us. We want to preach the gospel to the world around us. We want to baptize those who accept the message and the strength of a church that exists for this purpose is the acceptance that it offers to those who are not yet part of it. It is the acceptance that they offer while people can belong, while they sort out their belief. It's like a spiritual hospital churches are for those who are questioning faith, for those who have no faith. And in church, where the purpose is for outsiders, we see that people can come in and they can belong and wrestle with their faith long before they have said, I am across that threshold where I believe. We've seen this expressed in good ways, and we've seen it expressed in in not-so-great ways throughout church history. When we say the word seeker-sensitive, it either uh, elicits some affirmation or some, some angst in people because of the various experiences that we have had with that. And of course, trying to do church where we create an atmosphere that is, that is open and accepting and not intimidating to walk into is a noble idea. Preaching and teaching where we attempt to present things that are accessible to the people in front of us is a great idea. Unfortunately, in some seeker-sensitive circles, the Pentecostal circles and charismatic circles have been squeezed out because expressions of worship that sometimes can be characterized as strange or weird apparently have no place in those, in those particular movements. Other movements are less extreme. And they're more friendly to Pentecostal and charismatic circles. And they've expressed it like this. They have said that we want to create a church for people who do not like church. Just think about that for a moment. We want to create church for people who do not like church. And again, they're operating under this, under this particular philosophy that the purpose of church is to bring people in from the outside. Notable churches that operate under that philosophy are such as Charles Stanley's son, Andy Stanley, in Atlanta. And also, in our very own Maritime PAOC district, we had a church that was launched at the same time I came here at Evangel Assembly with this particular philosophy in mind, a church for people who do not like church. Nova Church in Halifax was launched two and a half years ago. And interestingly enough, it's our second largest gathering in our district today with three to 400 people gathering every Sunday at that particular location. And I know there's lots of different thoughts about Nova Church because we're close to it. We see it. We saw what happened. Some have suggested it's attracted Christians from all over the city and decimated the churches. But I do have to tell you that Faith Tabernacle and Dartmouth Evangel have never been stronger than they are right now. Yet Nova Church continues to provide opportunities for people to encounter Christ in new ways. People that maybe would not have walked into any of the other particular churches that are around. It's interesting because sometimes we can think that church philosophies like that work only in urban centers. And then we did this little experiment in our town of Yarmouth, Nova Scotia on December 22nd at the Mariner's Center. Because church on a Sunday at Nova would look a whole lot more like the Mariner's Center Christmas 
and 2,100 people from our town came to see what local churches were doing. There was no headliner. There was no big name. There was just the names of our churches, and 2,100 people came to see, which makes us pause and think. But central to this particular church philosophy that we exist for people on the outside is these other scriptural principles. It's not the well that need a doctor, it's the sick we read in scripture. We also read the story of leaving the 99 for the 1, which makes absolutely no sense in our human rational minds that we would have 99 of something and leave it behind to find the 1. If you had 99 $20 bills and one of them blew away, would you throw the other 99 in the air and chase after that one that blew away? I think I've made my point. Yet in the kingdom of God, and according to the parable shared in the Gospel of Luke, this makes perfect sense in the kingdom of God. And of course, there's weaknesses with every approach. The casualty that we see sometimes in churches whose focus is exclusively on those who are not part of them yet and wanting to help them feel like they can belong, the casualty, unfortunately, sometimes is truth. Churches, we can sometimes get caught up in the smoke and the atmosphere and the lights and we can be weak on discipleship, we can be weak on fellowship, and we can just be gathering a crowd. But folks, we know that we need more than a message that tells us we have a second chance. We need a second birth. John says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. You must be born again, he says. And so at this point, you're probably incredibly confused. That's good. I've done my job. How do we answer that question then? What is the purpose of the local church? We could draw our picture of the local church as a church seeking and saving the lost and raising up Matthew 28 as the Great Commission, and we could hold that up and say, this is the way, walk in it. And others are going to hold up Ephesians 4 of the gifts that are given to the church to equip the saints and to equip people on the insides, and they would hold that up, and they would march with that, and then we'd have two pictures, both with biblical support, and we'd have to argue about which one is the one. And we have argued, and we do argue, because in every town, there's a church that's criticized for being too big, for being too attractional, for sucking up all the people from all the other churches, and at the same time, there's a church that is small and poor and struggling and ignored, yet they are the people who are pure in faith, good people attempting to prepare for works of service. And so, my question to you folks this morning is what is the right answer? Should we aim to be an Ephesians 4 church or a Matthew 28 church? Is our purpose to be a gathering of the saved or a gathering for the unsaved? Are we a church of insiders or a church for outsiders? Is our local church a place where Christians can come to grow or a place where non-Christians can come and encounter Jesus Christ? 
then these terms are charged, of course. But are we seeker-sensitive or seeker-insensitive? Are we a church for people who do not like church, or are we just a church like it or lump it? What's our mandate here at Evangel? I have some thoughts and an answer, but I'm not going to tell you today. A couple reasons. It's 5 to 12, and our, our stomachs are going to start to get hungry soon. But the other reason is this. I want you to wrestle with this and think about this all week. I want you to make it part of your conversations. I want you to Google it and read what trusted people have to say. But as I've said before, just because they rank high on the Google search engine doesn't mean that they have any authority. Just see what the kingdom of God is talking about on there. And then think about Evangel Assembly. Think about the things that you enjoy about our local church. Whatever it might be, whether you really enjoy the music and Pastor Aaron leading worship this morning, whether you really enjoy the preaching, men's fellowship, women's fellowship, BG is starting up this week, prayer meeting, we have seniors meals, Christmas banquet, Sunday school picnic, community lunch, 100 meals is this Wednesday. I mean, we just lost everything last week, didn't we? The whole week we just lost because of weather. 100 Meals is coming up again this Wednesday morning. What's the purpose of all of this? Ask yourselves. Is it to build up the already saved or is it to reach the not yet saved? Are we tilted to one side or the other here at Evangel? Are we balanced? And what should we be? Should we be tilted or should we be balanced? I want you to think about that this week and wrestle with that, and talk about that, and pray about that, and listen to the Lord about that this week. And next week, we will continue to dig in with part two of this and try and bring some resolution to those two sides. You'll also see in your bulletin this morning, if you, if you received one, that we have our third annual State of the Church survey is released also. There is a web link that you can complete it online if you like, or you can complete the paper copy, and you can bring it back to the office or the information booth, or you can toss it into the offering basket as well. But we would love to receive your thoughts about your experience of church here at Evangel Assembly and, and your honest assessment of our church in the various categories that are described on this survey. And as every other year, this particular survey is anonymous. We will not track you down after you complete it. We encourage honesty in communication. That's one thing. If you haven't learned about me yet, I'd rather just hear the hard truth right in front of my face than find out from behind my back. That's just me. So you can tell us the honest, hard stuff, and we're going to wrestle to become the best version of Evangel Assembly that God has called us to be, equipped by the Spirit in 2020, that we can be as we collectively hear from you and as we launch into a couple weeks the State of the Church Address and finalize some of the priorities that we have set in place for 2020. But until then, look forward to your praying and your wrestling this week. Feel free to reach out and carry on the conversation with us staff and deacons and anyone in the church as well. But let's pray together. And as I pray, I'm going to ask those who will be serving communion to come forward. And Pastor Aaron's going to come forward as well. Lord, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for the start of another year, 2020. And I just pray, Lord, that as we start this year together, 
that we will start it with our hearts focused on you and focused on your word. Lord, I just pray that we never take our eyes off of you, that we never take our eyes off of your word, and the things that we set our hands to do this particular year, I just pray, Lord God, that you will give us direction, and you will give us guidance, and you will give us blessing on those things. I thank you, Lord God, for what you've done in 2018 and 2019 here at Evangel Assembly. We thank you for that. We walk in that. We are blessed from that. But, Lord, we don't want to look backwards. We want to look forward to what you have for 2020, the things that you will be doing then. And so, Lord, build on what you've already deposited here. We thank you for this. We thank you for this. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.